electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. This is the American Greed Podcast, presented by CNBC. I'm Stacy Keach. In this episode of American Greed, Kevin Richard Halligan. Is he a top-notch spy or just a dirty crook? Most people that I spoke with believed that he was like a secret agent, or frankly, that he was almost like James Bond. When a major corporation needs help freeing their imprisoned executives from an African prison, Halligan comes to their rescue. He claimed that he worked with Homeland Security or the CIA or the military. And using inside connections, he takes in close to a million dollars meant to help find a missing child. Please, if you have Madeline, let her come home to her mummy, daddy, brother and sister. But the only person he's really helping is himself. I'm laughing. This is a Google map. Just print it off. That was the sum extent of his contribution to the case. So who is Kevin Halligan? The whole thing was a charade. And it got weirder and weirder. And what is he really up to? There's no justification in wasting money or spending money on yourself when you know there's a little girl missing. In Washington, D.C., distinguished guests arrive at Georgetown's exclusive Evermay estate for a high-society wedding. Many of them are military and intelligence professionals, and when they look around, they realize this is no typical gathering. And there were lots of what you describe as secret service type people wandering around in dark sunglasses and bulging suits and earphones. Amid the glamour and intrigue, there are special rules invitees must follow. We weren't allowed to take any photographs. The stated reason was that uh, there were senior US security folk and it would uh, not be conducive to their professional activity uh, were there to be photographs taken of them. Even the man officiating the wedding senses something in the air. Since I thought there had been some CIA or FBI connection with the day and security was so tight, his best man, I wondered to myself whether he was uh, packing heat, frankly. The heightened alert seems necessary to protect the groom, Kevin Halligan, who in his suave British accent tells tales of a life he lives in the shadows. He definitely represented himself as somebody who had gone to, as he would say, deepest, darkest places, had participated in very, very sensitive operations, and had put himself on the line and faced danger. Tim Craig Harvey is a retired British Army major. He first meets Halligan when they worked together at a private security firm in England in the early 2000s. 
immediately got on very well with Kevin, who was a charming guy. I could see that he was bright. Um, I could see that he was the kind of guy who would be fun and interesting to work with. In 2003, Craig Harvey says Halligan gives him a job at a new company he forms in London called Red Defense International. The company declares it's an experienced provider of crisis prevention, management, and expertise. Claiming a global presence, Red Defense eventually sets up offices in the ultra-chic West End of London. There's no doubt that if you are able to rent offices in the heart of the West End of London, it suggests that you are winning contracts that enable you to pay the rent, and that in itself lends credibility. On its website, Red Defense says it can help clients handle anything from terrorism and blackmail to piracy and kidnapping. We did win some small contracts, but like a lot of companies when they start off, uh, you take what you can get. According to Craig Harvey, Red Defense generates some legitimate business, and one job takes Kevin Halligan to Iraq to help deliver British radio handsets. He says that there, Halligan picks up a U.S. Department of Defense security pass. He loved that side of it because he could dress up in uh, private security gear, and when he was out there, he could carry a gun. But it's a small job when compared with what's to come. In the late summer of 2006, an oil tanker called the Probo Koala sails from Europe to Africa. The ship has been chartered by a commodities trading firm with offices in London called Trafigura. It's looking for a place to offload waste chemicals. They were unable to offload them in Amsterdam. They were unable to offload them in Lagos, in Nigeria. But they were eventually accepted in Abidjan, in Cote d'Ivoire. The ship discharges its waste in the West African seaport of Abidjan. And what follows is dubbed an environmental disaster. Weeks later, Trafigura's CEO and another manager head to the Ivory Coast to do damage control. According to FBI Special Agent Jim Connor, their mission does not go according to plan. They were there ostensibly to settle the matter, pay some damages, or agree to a, some sort of a settlement. And whether they were arrested or kidnapped, uh, they were not able to leave. The two executives are locked up inside this notoriously bad prison. It was perceived that this could be something that could be dealt with fairly painlessly and fairly quickly. As time went on, uh, it became clear that this was not going to be the case. In 2006, Trafigura has revenues of more than $44 billion. And getting their men out becomes priority number one. Their desperation for Halligan will be a massive windfall. Shortly after the arrests, an American security contractor in Washington, D.C. asks Kevin Halligan to represent him at a London meeting with Trafigura about their detained executives. FBI Special Agent Jim Connor says that Halligan senses a huge opportunity and does more than just fill a chair. The DC firm felt like Halligan kind of hijacked the job, uh, got there first, made himself indispensable to the principal people, and uh, kind of never took his position as a subordinate or second-level contractor. 
Tim Craig Harvey says Halligan's firm, Red Defense, at first wins only a small contract. But it's about to get much bigger, thanks to Halligan's skills as a salesman. He's bright, he's sharp, he's engaging, he's articulate. He can sell, he can sell an idea. In this case, Halligan sells the idea that his firm can help manage Trafigura's reputation and get their men home safely. Before long, the company is paying Red Defense approximately $874,000 a month. Trafigura was, without doubt, our big break. Uh, it was the largest contract that we'd had. It enabled us to grow the business. Uh, it gave us a huge leg up on the ladder of potential success. Halligan sets up a command post inside Trafigura's London office and brings in others to work on the job. Certainly the effort was ongoing for 24 hours a day, seven days a week. There were many people in many countries working to restore uh, the reputation Trafigura and to get these guys out of prison as quickly as possible. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. By late 2006, Kevin Halligan has millions coming his way, thanks to a contract to secure the release of two executives held in an African prison. With an eye towards expansion, he begins traveling more and more to the perfect place for a security professional, Washington, D.C. He came right to the belly button of the beast. Noel Cook is a former Deputy Undersecretary of Defense who once managed the Pentagon's role in dealing with terrorism. He spent decades in the Capitol and has met his fair share of devious characters. That's what makes Washington go. It's the liar's capital of the Western Hemisphere. Cook's business provides security briefings to paying subscribers. He says that when he first meets Halligan, the Brit signs up for his company's service and makes a grand show of overpaying for a subscription. I was just sort of flamboyant. Uh, I got money and I'm gonna throw it around. Their first meeting leads to others. And eventually, Halligan cultivates a relationship with the venerable DC figure. We resurrected three martini lunch. He's not a big guy, he's sort of a little guy. But goddamn, he just... He could pour it down. With Trafigura paying him big bucks, Halligan's hefty bar tabs are just one example of how he is living large. While in Washington, Halligan is said to stay for weeks at a time at the luxurious Willard Intercontinental Hotel, keeping a room open even when he's not there. Halligan also pays $6,000 a month to be driven around in a chauffeured town car and he spends big on long, lavish meals at restaurants such as Shelley's Back Room. Here, owner Bob Matarazzi says he gets to know him, but not as Kevin Halligan. We knew Kevin as Richard, Richard Halligan. 
He was a regular customer here for, I'm gonna say, over a period of a year. He was very popular with the staff. He was kind, he was uh, easy to deal with, he was a big spender, and he befriended me. Richard Halligan leaves quite an impression on Matarazzi, and not just for the expensive wines and cigars he buys or the big tips he leaves. Many times he would invite me over to his table and introduce me to individuals that he had brought with him who I had perceived to be important military figures. The general once, a colonel once, somebody that worked for Homeland Security. Matarazzi says that Halligan seems like a true security insider, an image he says his customer subtly cultivates. He would hint at what he did, but he would never get into too much detail. We kind of knew that he was involved in security, and he claimed that he worked with Homeland Security or the CIA or the military. Matter of fact, the staff here referred to him as James Bond because he was English, he had a British accent. He was kind of secretive about what he did. Around Washington, others say that Halligan is telling similar stories, that he too is part of the secret world of spies and intrigue. I think Kevin wanted to see him as a mystery man who had done things that he couldn't talk about, but if you knew what he did, you would be very impressed. Most people that I spoke with believed that he was involved with the intelligence agencies in the United Kingdom, that he was like a secret agent, or frankly, that he was almost like James Bond. Henry Exton once ran undercover operations for MI5, England's internal security service, which is why we've agreed to hide his face and alter his voice. He says Halligan's stories shift depending upon his audience. He's very careful to tell different stories to different people, to tell other people that he'd been involved in intelligence work and he'd been involved in various governments. Others say Halligan also remains careful not to say too much. He would give just enough snippets of information to keep you engaged, to keep you interested, uh, without um, having to provide the detail that would give away what was really going on. Meet the next generation of podcast stars with Sirius XM's Listen Next program, presented by State Farm. As part of their mission to help voices be heard, State Farm teamed up with SiriusXM to uplift diverse and emerging creators. Tune in to Stars and Stars with Isa as host Isa Nakazawa dives into birth charts of her celeb guests. This is just the start of a new wave of podcasting. Visit statefarm.com to find out how we can help prepare for your future. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. With his stories of being a spy, Kevin Halligan seems to have the credentials to run a successful private security business. But his partner, Tim Craig Harvey, says his office skills are somewhat lacking. Watching him type was a torturous affair. His fingers could not possibly keep up with his brain nor his imagination. That's how he typed, so he couldn't create his own paperwork. Um, any paperwork, anything that was done that involved um, presentations or written documents was done by me. Craig Harvey says he helped Halligan draft this bio, which is handed out to prospective clients. In it, Halligan says he's worked with everyone. 
and been everywhere. I wrote all of that, and I wrote it in good faith. But my belief now is that pretty much everything he told me uh, is a lie. So who then is Kevin Halligan? According to Henry Exton, he's a man living in a fantasy world. He picks parts of people's personalities and adopts them as his own stories of what they've done and how they behaved and why they've done certain things, and they become his stories. News reports will later say that Kevin Halligan, spelled with an E, is actually an Irishman named Kevin Halligan, spelled with an A. And though he claimed an impressive technical background, in truth, Halligan works in the mid-1990s at a battery company in England whose clients include the Ministry of Defense. Though he's said to be a whiz in a pitch meeting, colleagues at the battery company voiced the same complaint that Craig Harvey and others will have years later. Because of his gregarious nature, people enjoyed working with us, with him, in the first instance. Uh, but time after time, he overpromised uh, on what he might deliver. And I think people became frustrated. If Halligan's true gifts lie not on the battlefield, but in the boardroom, how does he cozy up to so many elite intelligence and military professionals? The answer may lie here, behind the doors of London's Special Forces Club, where Halligan gains entry in the early 2000s. Though Tim Craig Harvey is not a member of this hangout for Special Forces and intelligence operatives, he often visits the club with Halligan. He had worked with and was on good terms with two or three people who were senior members of the club. And I believe that it was through them that he uh, inveigled his way into the club. News reports say that Halligan uses the club to build a network of people who can bolster his reputation and work with him on projects like the Trafagura case. By virtue of his position close to one distinguished person, another would trust him because he, they figured he had already been vouched for. Those who know him say Halligan's free spending keeps his new associates from asking too many questions. Your program's called American Greed, and it was greed that brought all these people to him because he was paying a premium to everybody because they saw him as a fantastic client. By the end of 2006, Halligan is building his network on both sides of the Atlantic. And in Washington, he begins seeing an attractive U.S. government lawyer named Maria Dibchek. Tim Craig Harvey says that, true to form, Halligan has a grand tale of their star-crossed meeting years earlier. Whilst he was working in Bosnia, which is something I hadn't heard about before, uh, they met uh, because she was doing something for the State Department, and he was clearly doing something for British security services, and that eyes saw each other and they fell in love, but because they were both with other people at the time, uh, it was a love that could not occur. Now, according to Craig Harvey, Halligan says a chance encounter at the Willard Hotel in Washington has allowed them to rekindle their once forbidden romance. It's a great story, but that's all it is, a story. They hadn't met uh, in Bosnia uh, or the wider Balkans uh, or even the Willard. They'd actually met online dating. In his profile on USMilitarySingles.com, Halligan describes himself as caring, capable, and honest. He says, 
He splits time between DC and London, works closely with the Department of Defense, and is willing to provide more info if potential suitors just ask. After meeting Dibchek, Halligan fills her in on some of the details. He had talked extensively about working for the intelligence community for the U.S. government on secret missions all around the world. It seemed genuine, and of course, she was meeting people he was with that actually were in the intelligence community. Soon, Halligan and Dibchek plan to marry, and he tells his fiance to start looking for a house they can call their own. Befitting someone of his stature, he asks that she keep it in the $2 million range. And he has just the way to come up with the money. Trafigura pays Red Defense $12 million to help secure the release of their imprisoned executives. But Halligan thinks they're good for more. As 2006 draws to a close, the company's men are still behind bars in the Ivory Coast. As it came up to Christmas, here we are three months on, they're still in jail. What's happening? What's happening? Kevin Halligan's main contact on the Trafigura case is a London shipping lawyer named Mark Aspinall. In November 2006, Halligan pitches him a new proposal, something referred to as the American strategy. Halligan has built a network of highly placed people in the capital, and now he wants to put them to work in the service of Trafigura. In Washington, however, nothing comes for free. According to court records, Halligan says he needs $2.1 million to go to the right people at the right level. Aspinall is led to believe the money will be spent on consultants and lobbyists, people with the power to get things moving in Africa. And Trafigura signs off on the plan. There was no reason to consider that there was anything untoward. It had been agreed by the company. It was a sensible story. Get on and do it. Oddly, Halligan says he wants the $2.1 million sent not to Red Defense's business account, but to a personal account in Washington that he's just opened. According to his business partner, Craig Harvey, Halligan has a ready explanation. He needs the money to make a huge contribution to an unnamed U.S. senator, and this is the way to do it. This was explained as a cost that would go towards campaign fund for a particular senator, although it couldn't be seen for a company to provide funds uh, for his campaign. Um, it was perfectly acceptable for an individual um, to provide funding. In January 2007, Mark Aspinall wires the money to Halligan's personal account, but it hardly goes where it's supposed to. When the money came in from Aspinall, it was just in time to purchase a, a large home in Great Falls, Virginia. One day after receiving the money, Halligan buys this nearly $1.7 million six-bedroom mansion in an exclusive DC suburb with cash. In February 2007, the Dutch commodities trading company Trafigura agrees to pay a $198 million settlement to the Ivory Coast and the company's two executives are released. By then, Kevin Halligan is the picture of success, and he sets up two new private security companies in the D.C. area, with a high-tech office out by Dulles International Airport. 
there was enough money in the pot that uh, he could now uh, base himself in the US uh, and establish a US entity with US citizens to go after US business. Halligan brings on board well-credentialed former military and intelligence figures, some of whom have worked with him on the Trafigura case. In April 2007, Halligan brings Trafigura's lawyer Mark Aspinall and others from England to Washington for his wedding. To officiate the wedding, Halligan's bride hires this man, Harry Winter. She informed me that it was going to be a million-dollar wedding, something that I had never even heard of. However, like much in Halligan's life, things are not as they seem. According to Henry Exton, at the last minute, Halligan has convinced his bride-to-be that his spy masters can't allow them to officially marry. 30 hours before the wedding, he said, look, we can't have genuine wedding because I'll be on public records. And because my work's so sensitive and secret, that could put me in danger. Halligan's bride, Maria Dibchek, declined to comment for this show. But she must believe him, because when she hires Winter to officiate the event, she lets him in on the secret. The wedding was not going to be a real wedding. It was to be a sort of performance for her friends because the person she was marrying was deeply embedded in either CIA or FBI and was not able to use his real name at the wedding. Winter agrees to take part in this charade because, in truth, he's not really a man of the cloth. I'm an actor originally from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and I've been in the Washington, D.C. area for about 36 years now uh, as a working actor. Knock on wood. He knows his trade well, and to those in the audience, it all seems on the up and up. The wedding went the way weddings go the usual words and the usual promises and the rest of the stuff. And then uh, we had dinner. It's a well-orchestrated affair that's an even bigger lie. The reason? In truth, Halligan can't marry because he has an estranged wife in England who he never divorced. As 2007 rolls along, the Trafigura cash cow has been milk dry. Thanks to that case, Halligan has a new house, but it needs work, and he needs more money to keep up the lifestyle he's built. The problems came after Trafigura, when Kevin was still staying at the Willard, uh, and his uh, daily rate was no longer being picked up by a client. And if you insist on staying at the Willard for months at a time, that has an impact on the current account. Having just shown off how much of an insider he is with his elaborate fake wedding, Halligan spends the summer asking Trafigura lawyer Mark Aspinall to invest in his new American security ventures. Court filings say that in September, the lawyer agrees to pay $500,000 for a piece of Halligan's American business. He'd worked with Halligan for five months under trying circumstances uh, and clearly quite like what he saw, uh, he must have done to invest um, whatever he invested and with a big job about to come in, this may seem like a wise financial move for now. Please, if you have Madeline, let her come home to her mummy, daddy, brother and sister. 
In May 2007, a three-year-old British girl named Madeleine McCann disappears from a resort in Praia de Luz, Portugal. The story excites worldwide attention, and money comes pouring into the Find Madeleine Fund. Halligan eventually secures a six-month contract worth nearly a million dollars to find the little girl. Former MI5 undercover man Henry Exton says he begins running extensive operations for Halligan, tapping into his own network and hiring a small army of subcontractors to help. My responsibility was to set up the operation and the operational room and the operational plan and brought people in that I knew to help and deal with that. Meanwhile, Exton and others say Halligan promises to provide items from the night of Maddie's disappearance. The promises were varied, but they included that he would have the ability to identify who had used phones on that evening and get satellite imagery of people walking around that night. And it was all phenomenal stuff. While Exton says his team is making headway, bank records show that in D.C., Halligan is spending thousands on items that have little to do with the missing child. He spends big on his chauffeur and on pricey meals. While renovating the house he bought with Trafigura's money, he's spending $6,800 a month to rent another home in Georgetown. And he's paying thousands more on hotel rooms in D.C. and London as well. Halligan is also withdrawing tens of thousands of dollars from company accounts and wiring hundreds of thousands more overseas. There's no justification in wasting money or spending money on yourself when you know there's a little girl missing and there's a possibility of finding her. It's despicable. By the summer of 2008, the Find Madeline Fund has begun to wonder just what they're paying Kevin Halligan for. For months, he's been promising super-secret satellite images of the Portuguese town on the night Madeleine McCann disappeared. Henry Exton says that, finally, Halligan delivers. This is after about five, six, seven requests, and the map arrived, and uh, we saw what it was, and everyone was breaking down in laughter. I said, well, why are you laughing? He said, it's a Google map. Just print it off. Brilliant, thank you very much indeed. And um, that was the sudden extent of his uh, contribution to the case. In August 2008, a news story hits the British tabloid saying that Halligan's company has been fired from the McCann job. Suddenly, the so-called secret agent's name is no longer quite so secret. Questions were being asked about where's the money going? Is the work being done? The story became Halligan. In Washington, the story of Halligan's deceit begins to slowly emerge. Noel Cook says his company has done $25,000 worth of translation work for Halligan on the McCann job. Now, Cook says he must resort to Halligan's wife to track him down. The martini lunches had already stopped. And I finally got fed up with trying to get him to return my phone call. So I went to the place on N Street, and Maria was there. And I said, where the hell is Kevin? And she said, I think he's down at Shelley's. And he was. Cook says he finds Halligan and gets the $25,000 he's owed. 
But others aren't so lucky. Court filings say that Trafigura attorney Mark Aspinall has personally given Halligan $750,000 for a stake in his American operations. He comes to a realization about the man he once trusted. Mark had really put in an awful lot of money uh, and that he had uh, been completely conned by Halligan. According to court records, in September 2008, Aspinall comes from London to DC to get his money back, and Halligan promises to pay up. But it seems he has other plans. I think he now realized the game's up. Time to move on to another location. By the fall of 2008, Halligan has sold the house he bought with Trafigura's money, and court records show that he's begun pulling hundreds of thousands of dollars out of his American business and sending it overseas. It seems he's planning his exit, but how can he shake Maria Dibchek, the woman he pretended to marry? The answer, according to Exton, is by scaring her half to death. Exton says that Halligan sends two Iranian women to his rented home in Georgetown, pretending to be looking for him. The woman he pretended to marry believes he's a deep cover spy. So when these Iranians show up asking questions, she understandably panics. Maria rang Halligan. Halligan said, get out of the house. They found me. I'll need to go and hide. And he said, go back to your own house. This is dangerous for me. Of course, Halligan is hardly on the run from Iranian intelligence operatives. The real danger is that Dibchek and others will find out he's headed to Europe with a new woman. A new woman wooed by an old promise. He told me he was taking her to Monaco to marry her. Right in New York to pick up some designer luggage, jewelry, etc. And they flew first class with her dog to Rome. When they arrive in Rome, Halligan sets up in the city's finest hotels, where he racks up huge tabs, then reportedly tries to contact his business partner, Tim Craig Harvey, to assure him he isn't on the run. I received an email from him uh, in Italy, and he said, don't believe what people are saying about me. I haven't done a runner. I'm here uh, trying to win some business. My card has stopped working. Could you please wire me 5,000 euros so that I can pay my hotel bill? And if ever there was a final nail to be put in the coffin, that was it. Henry Exton says he hired many people to work on the McCann job. Now, with Halligan gone, they're not getting paid, and Exton finds his reputation is at risk. Halligan was bouncing checks everywhere on people, even my own people and then coming up with excuses because it's international wire transfers, this, it's that. I had to pay people out of my own pocket. This is really bad. Before long, those who have crossed paths with Halligan say they begin talking. It was only really uh, over the next two or three months that we realized that clearly um, there was no future uh, in the business, that Halligan really had done a runner, that there was no money, and that what money there was was probably in his pocket somewhere. After taking a close look at the books, Exton says the truth becomes clear. This is an almighty fraud. He's the only signature to the checks. And he's been looking at throughout the whole process. And uh, it was devastating. What's more, as they continue to dig, they see that Halligan's tales of being a super spy don't add up. 
In 2009, a couple calling themselves Mr. and Mrs. Hall show up at the old bank hotel in Oxford in the south of England. The man calls himself Richard, sometimes Kev. Halligan moved in alias back to the United Kingdom. There's no credit cards now. He's using cash. So wherever his cash is being hidden, he came back into the country and, of course, now lived for months in alias. Halligan is no longer with the woman who fled America with him. Now he's with a longtime girlfriend from England. He's said to spend lots of his time in the hotel bar, spinning familiar tales. He told people in his drunken stupor that he was a spy. The people hunting Kevin Halligan aren't far behind, and they've settled on a strategy to bring him down. In April 2009, the Trafigura attorney Mark Aspinall and an employee of one of Halligan's American businesses file lawsuits in the United States. They are asking for millions of dollars in damages. Meanwhile, Henry Exton wants to see Halligan behind bars, and he uses his law enforcement connections to see what he can do. I think I uncovered 42 potential offenses and decided that this should be presented to the FBI. Exton travels to Washington, where he brings what he knows to Special Agent Jim Connor at the Bureau. As Connor looks at the case, he zeroes in on the $2.1 million that Halligan told Trafigura he would use to lobby politicians in D.C. as part of his plan called the American Strategy. It was my job to try to prove a negative that he had not made payments to lobbyists or legislators or consultants in furtherance of the American strategy. Looking at financial records, Connor sees that Halligan's spending has nothing to do with freeing Trafigura's incarcerated executives. I saw that he was spending a lot of money on travel and restaurants and dog walking services and rent at a Georgetown location and gifts for his friends and girlfriend. So when I reviewed enough of the bank records to see that substantially all of his money had gone to lifestyle, uh, in effect, I'd kind of proved that he didn't uh, embark on the American strategy. In November 2009, a grand jury indicts Halligan on charges of wire fraud and money laundering. A year after leaving Washington, he's a fugitive, and an international arrest warrant is issued. On November 24th, Police arrest him at the Old Bank Hotel. And news photographers are there to catch it all. Somebody at the hotel recognized him and rang whoever they rang, and the police turned up, and they were just about to leave the pair of them. Eventually, the local police hand Halligan over to Scotland Yard, but his ordeal is far from over. Ever the spinner of tales, he spends three years in jail fighting extradition by claiming he was acting in the interest of British national security. This time, no one buys it. In December 2012, the man who once crisscrossed the Atlantic first class is escorted back to Washington by U.S. Marshals, now seated in coach. Five months after being returned to the U.S., Halligan pleads guilty to a single wire fraud charge and is ordered to pay $2.1 million in restitution to Trafigura. The judge sentences him to 41 months. 
since he already served this time awaiting extradition and trial, he's quickly kicked out of the United States. He was going to be banned from coming back here for life, and so there was no reason for him to not be on a plane very, very quickly. In the end, Kevin Halligan was only charged with the $2.1 million theft from Trafigura. But he brought in much more than that. So where did it all go? Obviously, some of the McCann 100 grand a month uh, had gone into his pocket, not forgetting Mark Aspinall's investment, plus the sale of Great Falls, Virginia. So there's an awful lot of cash swilling around. There is a limit to how much wine you can drink and how many cigarettes you can smoke uh, in, in the course of a few months. Uh, and no one has yet discovered where this money has gone. What makes Halligan's crime stick out, though, is not really what he took. It's who he tricked. Halligan was really operating against some of the most capable and suspicious people uh, that you would find, intelligence professionals. For the many people who trusted Halligan, the effect has been double. Money lost and reputations damaged. Having been sentenced in the United States to time served, he's now living freely in England. And he's still weaving tales of his cloak and dagger past. Everything he did was as though he was in a spy movie. He really was the most extraordinary Walter Mitty because not only did he make other people believe in what he'd done, but he really did, by the end of it, appear to believe that he had genuinely done all these things himself. Either that, or he really did have the most enormous pair of balls and really didn't give a what people thought about him. Thanks for listening to the American Read Podcast, presented by CNBC. I'm Stacy Keach. Meet the next generation of podcast stars with SiriusXM's Listen Next program, presented by State Farm. As part of their mission to help voices be heard, State Farm teamed up with SiriusXM to uplift diverse and emerging creators. Tune in to Stars and Stars with Isa as host Isa Nakazawa dives into birth charts of her celeb guests. This is just the start of a new wave of podcasting. Visit statefarm.com to find out how we can help prepare for your future. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.